Get him. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode is brought to you by Mossy Oak. Because everything is better in Bottomland. Kent Cartridge. Quality matters. Performance counts. Shen Gear. Waterfowl gear that is built better. And Benelli USA. Dominate the skies. Bottomland is Mossy Oak's original camel pattern created by Toxie Hayes over three decades ago. This pattern preserves the original design while applying advanced technology for increased effectiveness. The same field-proven components and colors, the same dirt and bark elements, the same ability to blend into dark environments and obscure a hunter's outline from every angle. Mossy Oak, Bottomland. Welcome back to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? Man, you know, just another day. Living the dream. Yep, just another day. It's Sarah's last day. Yep. So we had ribs for lunch, but... Uh, it's opening day, Eve, Eve. Yeah. Right now. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It is. You're right. I, yeah. I, I guess I just assumed we weren't having turkey season in Tennessee this year. It's, so far, it's killing me. All my friends are already traveling. They're like, what are you going to do the rest of April? I'm like, the rest of April? I'm <laughs> what do just you mean? Gonna... Like, we ain't even started yet, man. <laughs> I know. I'm just going to stay here in Tennessee. Oh, mm. <laughs> oh but, man. <laughs> well, what you got on the plate today? Man, so this one's a little bit out of left field. No real uh, major connections to the Rolling Thunder brand. Um, I guess no no real direct connections. Yeah. I should say major is not a good word because there are some <laughs> major connections. Um, <clears throat> but direct connections. So a good, good friend of mine is Jason Hart, who has um, been a big fan of our brand for a long time, been on the podcast several times, and um, he – one of the founders of the uh, Hook and Nomad brands, um, has worked at Mossy Oak for quite a long time, a couple different stints at Mossy Oak, and he's currently the uh, director of community marketing um, for Mossy Oak, which is uh, a lot of pro staff involvement, and it's a lot of the stuff that Tim Anderson did um, before his um, before his death. But um, anyways, Hart, as long as I've known Hart, he has told stories about this guy named Guthrie, James Guthrie. And um, I never knew him. He passed away 10 years ago yesterday. Um, and he was a, a, you know, just a, a larger than life kind of a cat. And uh, I've always heard these stories. And yesterday in our group text, Hart sent a picture of a gobbler that he killed that morning. And he had a picture of Guthrie with him. And he said, 10 years to the morning that I woke up and found out that Guthrie had passed. And, um, I just, the more I thought about it, I, last night I was, <clears throat> when I had gotten home from baseball and all the things, you know, I was going back through my phone and just reading some some of the messages from that group message I hadn't had a chance to that day and just kind of got to thinking about it. I was like, you know what, that's a guy I really would like to know some more about. And so I, I shot a text message over to Hart and I said, hey, um, would you be up for podcast about Guthrie tomorrow and he was like absolutely and he said how would you feel about me getting a few of my industry friends that knew Guthrie to join us and I said absolutely yep. and, um, so one thing led to another and the call that you're about to hear is um, is a conversation that we just had a few minutes ago with Jason Hart of Mossy Oak and uh, Mike Scobie of Field Ethos Journal and um and these guys are just going to tell us all about Guthrie. Yep. And so I hope that um all of our listeners will enjoy this episode. I hope that um you pick up on some things that Guthrie some some talents that he had and some ways that he lived his life that um you know make you a better businessman, better just human. I know uh for me personally listening to this has just really really challenged me in in several ways. One of which is just being very present and caring about other people when they're telling stories. And as simple as that sounds, that is so difficult yeah. in our job because we hear so many stories, so many 
hey, let me show you this. You know, I killed four gadwalls and two wood ducks yesterday. And, you know, it, it, I don't, I don't mean that from a snotty standpoint, but when it's part of our job and we hunt all the time, it, it's hard. It's, it's just difficult in a moment of stress and, you know, busy environment to stop and pay attention to somebody and listen right. to them and make them feel important. And you don't intentionally do it to harm them or to hurt their feelings, but man, it is, that is just, that's one of those things that's really challenging. And, and anyways, you're, you're going to hear some really cool stories in this one. And I hope that, um, you know, the, the memory and the stories of, uh, James Guthrie live on for, you know, many years, many years to come. And it's not only that be intentional with how you interact with people, but be intentional with your work. Mm. Because once we found out from, from Hart and Scobie, how, and how meticulous he was at his job, which in turn evolved him to be, yeah, such an influential a, a, guy, in the an amazing industry. outdoor rider. Yeah, and just kind of just really his yeah. his work ethic elevated him to the position mm-hmm. that you can see why from from the stories they tell in this interview, you'll be able to see why all of the different manufacturers thought so highly of him because yep. he just he did such a good job of his job. And yeah. as simple as that sounds, you know, and we live in a world where you know it's. It's just too okay to half-ass things. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and um, we, we've we sort of, as Americans, we've learned to accept, you know, corrupt politicians and, you know, cheap crap from China that breaks and just all the things. You know, it's like we live in a world where it's okay to not be, you know, not go the extra mile, not right. be what you advertise to be. And um, I think it's pretty cool in this one you'll hear, you know, just, just some firsthand accounts of how exceptionally well uh, – Guthrie went about his work and how yep. well he was thought of. So absolutely. Without any further ado, here's uh an interview with Jason Hart and Mike Scobie about our friend James Guthrie. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. What's going on, buddy? We just had a fantastic lunch on oh, the front was, porch, so you it know, was amazing. don't really have a whole lot to complain about. But <laughs> no doubt, about to be some siestas around our place. I'm afraid Smokehouse Blackwood threw down for us for lunch. So <laughs> there was lots of talk about all the things everybody was going to get done after lunch, and I rolled my eyes and was like, "Yeah, right. I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to podcast, cumbers. and y'all are going to crash on the front porch. <laughs> we're going to walk out and look like." Sleeping uh, with the 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 dwarves, like a bunch you know, of the, union workers out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, look on today's episode, we've got a couple of guests. Um, some we one we know and one we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we are joined by Jason Hart. Um, what is your official title, Hart? Uh, let's see here. I am the director of community marketing at Mossy Oak. Director of community marketing, which means. You make all of the difficult phone calls and keep everybody happy across the country, right? Yes. I'm the one that people come to when they're looking for money, and I'm the mean guy that gets to tell them no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and and you have roped in a colleague of yours from uh, days gone by. My understanding is your name is Mike Scobie, correct? That is correct, sir. Mike, tell, me. tell us what you do and where <laughs> you're at and um, – and give us a little intro on yourself. Sure, sure. And I'm uh, the chief marketing officer for Field Ethos, uh, which is a multimedia conglomerate, if you will, a magazine, print, uh, digital, social, podcasts, uh, television series. So all kinds of uh, awesome. outdoor media uh, co-founded by Don Trump Jr. Awesome. Good deal. Well, we – so <clears throat> last night, just a little bit of background – not info last night i was sitting around and doing the typical late night scroll your phone while you can't find anything to stream on television as you're trying to fall asleep and uh i was reading back through a group text message that hart and i are both a part of and i was reading some uh comments about a friend of hearts and a bunch of people who i guess 10 years ago yesterday passed away and um and i shot hard a text message and i was like will you get on a podcast tomorrow and tell us about this legendary character named guthrie um who i did not have the um the benefit of knowing personally but so many people that i know like jason um thought the world of him and i've heard guthrie stories forever and so just kind of as a intro here 
I want you guys to tell us who Guthrie was, what he meant to you, and kind of give us the whole story. What did he do? And, you know, yeah. So go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and get my start. And, um, <clears throat> you know, for the record, I brought Mike Scobie on here. Scobie and I became friends through Guthrie. Uh, because he was, uh, uh, Scobie was Guthrie's last boss and his boss when he passed away. Mm. But, uh, I met James Guthrie who his pen name was Jay because he hated his first birth name, James. <laughs> and anybody that was friends with him referred to him as Guthrie. And if somebody referred to him in Jay, he probably wasn't very close buddies with him. He was just business associates. I knew there was, I knew there was something going there because I Googled, you know, that the uh what was it the rod and gun or gun and guns and ammo article and a few other things and everywhere it was printed it was j period guthrie so yeah, that was going to be he, one of my first questions well he started that when he went to work for the quality deer management association back in 2004 and that's how we met each other we uh we went to work and we met at uh at millery plantation in i believe it was july of 2000 excuse me to july 2001 and uh we were working for the startup nonprofit, the QDMA, the Quality Deer Management Association. I was in charge of fundraising initiatives and starting banquets and chapters, and I was a pseudo-deer biologist at the time, and Guthrie <laughs> was the new editor of the magazine, Quality Whitetails. And literally, we met that day, and uh, we had lunch the first day of work. He's like, hey, man, I don't have any – he goes, I don't know anybody here in Athens, Georgia. You want to be my roommate? So I very reluctantly, uh, my first impressions of this guy was he was a tall, skinny, uh, white version of Chris Rock, very <laughs> loud and obnoxious, um, very redneck, um, and constantly popping corny jokes that, for some reason, everybody really liked. And uh, uh, when we first moved together, when we first became uh, co-workers and roommates, I pretty much thought of him as literally a Georgia complete redneck. And I think he thought of me as a South Carolina frat boy, preppy boy. And, uh, and at first we didn't get along and one thing led to another. We became roommates. We became coworkers over the next three and a half years and, uh, living in Athens, Georgia together, and then became really close buddies and became hunting buddies. And, uh, he had previously worked for the Georgia Outdoor News, which in the state of Georgia is their mm -hmm. uh, really premier hunting magazine. Yeah. So he had a lot of experience, and in in that he uh, he was trained as uh, you know his his education was in English and in uh, in writing. He wrote for local newspapers, but he grew up hunting and fishing and trapping, and became a big fan of guns, a big fan of you know of war uh, history. He was a history buff, and literally. Uh, was quite a uh, you know quite a man of all trades, uh, if you will. During our QDMA days, he became uh, somewhat of an expert in the world of white-tailed deer, and then he moved on to uh, to the National Rifle Association in Virginia, and he was living in Northern Virginia, uh, wearing a camouflage ball cap, but they made him wear a tie to work every day. And <laughs> uh, and at the time, you know, he was a gun expert, but then he really honed in his uh, expertise in the gun world during that time and you know both of us were in our early 20s at the time and both of us were single men and um and both of us were pretty wild and so long story short we hung out together at trade shows we hung out in hunting camps and uh we hung out at bars and we made a point to get together and our friends network grew tremendously during that time uh and with that being said guthrie moved on from the nra he actually he got fired from the NRA, crazy enough, um, because he was going on a hunting trip to King Ranch in Texas with me through a mutual friend, and he turned in his paperwork, and when he got back, his boss said, you didn't follow proper procedure. He said, well, that's, I, I'm going anyway. Uh, before he went, before he left, and he came back got fired, he's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I guess I'm going to become a <laughs> freelance writer, and next thing you know, he's writing for Field and Stream and Outdoor Life, and mm. next thing you know, he's hosting television shows and has the back cover of guns and ammo magazine and is working for OSG and writing for the big. So literally because of one, uh, one very odd boss who, uh, who did not quite like his, uh, demeanor, he ended up, uh, uh, that ended up creating an incredible, uh, incredible career for him, uh, outside of the NRA before his death happened. And, uh, 
2013. But anyhow, with that being said, uh, I'll let Scobie get started. But uh, needless to say, uh, you know, he is not only known for his work and his writing abilities, but he was quite the character uh, outside of hunting and outside of shooting sports. And then with that being said, he was an absolutely all around a very rounded outdoorsman and was an expert in many, many different fields from turkey hunting to deer biology to muzzle loading to optics to modern rifles mm. to long range shooting to ballistics to military ballistics to uh, literally wing shooting to you name it. He was uh, he was quite knowledgeable in all of them. And I'll, I'll let Scobie so, kind of go from there. How he like- got to meet Sounds like he was a hell of a wingman. <laughs> yes. Well, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was a uh, he was quite the fun guy to uh to be a part of and, mm. and I probably out of all of those he was quite the storyteller. You know, it's funny hard. I didn't I've known you for 15 years and accurately so through Guthrie. But I never realized you had a uh, biology degree. Did you have a degree or were you just the biologist there? No, no, I did. I went off to Clemson University, and I thought I was going to be a wildlife biologist at one time in my life. I, you know, when I grew up hunting, and 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 you know, guidance counselors tell you that you need to get into something you like. They don't tell you that you need to make money if you really want to go to end up doing something you like. So <laughs> I followed exactly that right. path to wildlife biology. And as an eighteen-year-old kid, I didn't know, you know, I didn't realize that a wildlife biologist made less than a financial advisor, even though the cost of uh, Going to Clemson University at the time was exactly the same, no matter what major you, you got in. And, uh, and yeah, I majored in wildlife. I thought I was going to be a deer and turkey biologist. And, uh, and I went off to Clemson University and realized I wasn't very good at statistics. And then all of a sudden I realized when I got in the real world that, uh, that wildlife biologists with undergraduate degrees really don't make a lot of money. And if you want to have fun, you kind of got to make some money. So, uh, so I did not follow my uh, pursuit of, uh, I wasn't smart enough to get advanced degrees, which would, uh, accelerate you in the field of wildlife biology. So, so yeah. I yeah so you're more than, you're more than just a pretty face then. You actually got some brains. Well, no, I don't know if I'd say that, Scoby. I think, I think most of them got spent at Clemson University after <laughs> don't you, Scoby, don't bar. you remember the matrix, you know, the, the, yeah, the hot crazy <laughs> matrix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah, I think, go ahead, Scoby. I, I was just thinking when you were talking about Guth, I I honestly can't recall when we first met. I uh, I came on as the editor-in-chief of Peterson's Hunting when I was, I don't know, late 30s. And just when Guth was a couple years younger than I was. And uh, probably met him at one of our OSG roundtables the first year I was there. We'd host an annual roundtable with all the manufactures the products and you know testing them and shooting them for a week at a, at a remote retreat did that twice a year and I, we just hit it off you know from the earliest time it's hard not to i guess that's you know and you're talking about him mean, he had the ability just to light up a room i mean anybody that you know knew him had the pleasure of knowing him you know you'd walk into a room and he would be holding court i mean just everybody man woman and child hung on his every word and uh, i i like everybody else you know <clears throat> quickly gravitated towards him and that developed into obviously we had a lot of shared interests and loves and uh, both in, inside the industry and outside the industry. And we just really hit it off and became very close, you know, through a working relationship. And uh, he became one of my prime writers. And in fact, I've, you know, I've been a freelance writer and editor, managing editor, editor in chief publisher for 30 years now. And I've not seen the, the quality of writing. He was the preeminent outdoor writer of our time by far. Uh, he was the best writer that, that worked in the OSG stables. And I would stack him against anybody at field and stream outdoor life or any mainstream publication, but he was a horrible, horrible procrastinator. I mean, <laughs> I had to write him like a wet diaper and you know, you'd call him up and Hey, Guthrie, you're too. And I got to the where I could manage him being that if I needed an article due May 1st, I would tell him it'd be April 1st. And by, you know, mid-April, I'd start calling him, hey, you're two weeks late. Where's that article? Man, I you ain't going to believe it. A big old oak tree came down across the power lines today and took my internet out. And, you know, you call back a week later. Yeah, no, a dog actually came in and chewed my computer up. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I'll get it to you tomorrow, though. You know, and tomorrow would come and go and call him back up and he'd have another excuse of why it didn't get done. And 
generally you'd hear gunfire in the background you'd tell damn well he was at the range you know shooting not uh not writing and then when he set himself down to actually write and he turned something in and, and you know it would be on time because i told him it was a you know month late it was the best thing you ever had and mm. so you would it's why he was successful he was so talented as a writer and a communicator and a storyteller and just a natural wordsmith that um really really had an exceptional talent um just for a tiny bit of background knowledge, Hart, you made a comment the other day when we were all together that um, there have kind of been these variations of rock stars in the outdoor industry. And, you know, current current day with social media, it's the influencers, right? Um, and, and at one point it was TV show hosts and writers. And I, obviously I know that there is significant value to the written word, but writers today are not the rock stars that they were of a certain time ago. Will you unpack that just a little bit? Like, tell us what writers y'all are talking about these meetings and stuff. And I know what you're talking about, but give, give our listeners a little background knowledge. From my standpoint in the, in the sales and marketing side in the, in the hunting industry for the last uh, 23 years and Scobie may have a different perspective, but I know when, when I was growing up, you know, I would read, all the different magazines. And for me, that was deer and deer hunting and North American whitetail and outdoor life and field and stream. And then on the turkey hunting side, turkey and turkey hunting and turkey call magazine. And you would see all the same faces in the same pictures and in these magazine articles. And they would be, you know, they may be a, you know, back in the, in the, in the nineties, it might've been uh, someone that owned a call company or somebody that worked at PR for a call company and you'd see all these pictures of these writers, and it was almost like they were the celebrities. And at the time, companies were spending a ton of money in it. And to this day, in particular in the gun field, they still are doing so. But back at the, back in those days, you know, it was the folks that, um, you know, there were people that uh, uh, that companies had on retainer just to wear the certain camouflage or a certain brand, and these writers would only wear that and. You know, they were getting you know, taken so writers, all around the world. And, the writers themselves had sponsorships outside of their, oh yeah, their writing obligations. <laughs> yes, crazy? absolutely. To be exclusive to <laughs> certain brands. And then in the, you know, in the, in the 2000s, that's when the outdoor television really took off. It moved from VHS into, and cable into satellite and, and DVDs started hitting the market and, now all of a sudden there was a lot of television celebrities and folks that were getting big sponsorships. And now it seems like the entire industry has moved to influencers now to where, you know, different influencers are getting money and getting sponsorships and things like that. But Guthrie came about at about the time where uh, the writers in the outdoor industry were still the absolute rock stars. And then as that moved on Guthrie, I remember him calling me one day, he was uh, on a television show. He was on Guns and Ammo TV, and then he was on a TV show called Modern Rifle Adventures on Sportsman's Channel. And he's like, man, I don't know what it is, but I something about this TV, I think I've got it. And then all of a sudden, you know, he went from being well-known in the industry from his outdoor writing skills, and folks were flying him all over the world to, uh, to you know, have him and Scobie experience, you know, much of the same uh, for his writing that moved into, you know, him hosting the television show. And now it was, uh, it was pretty neat to see him walk around shot show being the, the celebrity status moving from, uh, you know, from an outdoor writer to, to being a television personality. And I remember we were at shot show, one of his last shot shows. And he's like, Hardy, I can believe this. He said, pick man walked up to me at the show and he knows me and said, he likes my show. I can't believe it. He's like a, one of those celebrity types. So anyhow, he was very humble about that, but he was, uh, he was definitely, you walk up and down the shot show. It didn't take, uh, it didn't take but a few years and everybody knew the skinny Georgia rednecks name for sure. And that's the thing about a writer. I mean, <clears throat> they still have clout. Well, I shouldn't say that. They don't have clout. They still are a good medium for communicating to your point, Hart, a gun industry's marketing message or giving a gun review. But nobody ever knows a writer. You just don't. You don't have a mental image of them, you know. Uh, you know, so you can read a guy's name a thousand times and you would not ever pick up Guthrie on the street. You know, you wouldn't recognize him. But TV and now today social media has changed all that, right? Where people put a name with a face. And you know, we've seen that evolution you know, between writing to 
TV to social media. And, and now, interestingly enough, I mean, we're, you know, with our field ethos company, you know, our magazine, our print magazine is, you know, really gaining a lot of traction because I think people have come full circle on that next generation of younger kids are, you know, kind of re gravitating or finding, you know, something that was retro cool in 1980, you know, and it's kind of making a full circle back, um, especially as people start getting out of TV more and more. Um, and, you know, there's so many more options for people to watch, but yeah, no, Guthrie became very, uh, very popular uh, and very recognizable. And, and he had a certain look about him. You know, he always had that ball cap on and always matched. You can tell how much he'd been drinking at SHOT Show, depending on how high that ball cap was on his head. <laughs> that ball cap would be all the way down about there, and you couldn't hardly see his eyes and be swing dancing somewhere. Man, I haven't thought about that, but the early 2000s, we all put rubber bands and tennis balls around oh, yeah. those hats because you wanted it to yeah. be tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you some of those pictures I sent you, Scobie, you can tell that's how he wore it. And, uh, and yeah, it was funny. That was his look at the NRA. You know, when he worked for the NRA, everybody, the NRA required everybody to wear a, a shirt and a tie, and there was Guthrie. He'd be out. As soon as he'd walk the, out of the door, he'd put his camo hat on with a shirt and tie to go to lunch. So he yeah. made uh, he made quite the name for himself in Northern Virginia. And at the time, I was living in Baltimore, Maryland, working for Under Armour. And uh, Guthrie became quite the uh, – when he would come up to Baltimore to visit, and we'd go bar hopping in Baltimore with my Under Armour coworkers. He became quite the uh, – he became quite well-known on in the streets of Maryland as well up there for some of his uh, some of his interesting antics. I love how it used to refer to it. Well, and it's funny you said the white Chris Rock because that's what I've always thought of him as as the white Chris. He sounded yeah, like he literally. He, he has the accent of Chris Rock. He had the he had the accent of Chris Rock. He had the build of Chris Rock and had the smile of Chris Rock. He yep. just had white skin, but uh, <laughs> it was quite. And he and he 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 appreciated that uh, that analogy. He uh, and he could mimic Chris Rock pretty well. In particular, the dirtier of jokes that Chris Rock told. <laughs> I remember, I think one of the first times I, I met him hard, he uh, came up to me and he would always do the gentlemanly, take his hat off and shake your hand, you know, and he goes, Jay Guthrie, Makonga. From, I said, where are you from? This Makonga. I go, Makonga. He goes, Macon, Georgia. That's great. That's funny. What would Guthrie be doing right now if he was still active part of the, our industry? Killing turkeys right now. <laughs> Yeah, he'd probably be in turkey camp with me right now. But uh, no, I thought about that a lot. He, uh, you know, in his at the time of his death, and and you might be able to get into this a little bit more, Scobie. You know, he was awarded the back page of Guns and Ammo magazine, which is basically was Jeff Cooper made popular. Which, in all honesty, and Scobie, you can speak to that more. That is kind of the the highest level honor of any writer to have that back page of guns and ammo magazine, which means you are the best gun writer out there. So he was super well-respected amongst the ballistic industry, um, super well-respected amongst the gun industry. And I, when I say the gun industry, that's everything from handguns to, you know, long range lever action. I mean, long range bolt action rifles to lever action to, you know, some of the pictures, handguns. I mean, you name it optics. He was an optics editor at one time. So there was just every different aspect of anything to do with firearms. He was well, well he known was respected he, too by everybody from the guy at the, you know, Ruger shop floor to the CEO who he'd have dinner with. I mean, every single level of a corporation in the gun industry had an affection and love for Guthrie. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, writers like all creative types, and I wrote this in his obituary uh, for Peterson's Hunting, are, are catty. I mean, you'll never hear them give compliments or praise to other writers. You know, they always feel their work, and that's probably true of television hosts and Instagram influencers and everything else, but they're, it's such a competitive world that they don't, uh, they don't hand out compliments very freely and, and generally very catty. If you're sitting around camp, it's a conversation. That guy's an asshat and he can't write where the shit doesn't know what he's talking about. And you never heard that about Guthrie. I mean, if his name came up in conversation, it was always with deference, respect, appreciation. I've never heard a bad word about his personal or professional ability. You know, he's just uh, well-respected even by his peers. That's remarkable. Absolutely. To answer your question, Spence, you know, I think that uh, definitely he would have evolved to the digital world. Uh, 
he was a man that understood the changes and evolutions, and there'd be no doubt that he would have figured out his way to become a uh, social media influencer at some capacity. Because on top of all of that, he was a super talented photographer. Uh, when we worked for Quality Deer Management, he would do weddings on the side. He would do professional photography and bird photography, and and yeah, he was uh, he was quite the content creator before that word really existed. Uh, so you know, from uh, you know, from video to to photography and. That was one thing I've, I get compliments to this day about a lot of my turkey pictures that I take, you know, mainly, you know, from that. And that was Guthrie's thing is he said, man, he goes, everybody hates taking pictures of the trophies, but they last a damn lifetime. They and do. You would kill something and Guthrie was in camp. It was going to be an hour long photo shoot uh. at the end. He taught a lot of us and taught, taught me just a lot of, you know, basics about photography. And that's what he was so good at. And, uh, and it was funny. I remember when he went to work for NRA, he, one of his first hunts he got sent on was a, uh, mule deer hunt down in New Mexico, killed this fine mule deer. And he always wore sunglasses when he was outside and he took his picture with sunglasses and one of his editors chewed him out. He called me up. He goes, I got bitched out on my first assignment for wearing sunglasses. He goes, I'm trying to, he goes, I guess I'm going to have to clean up. He goes, I don't like being the one in front of the camera. I like being behind it. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, no doubt, no doubt about he would probably, uh, without probably be, uh, you know, I imagine he'd probably be working for Scobie right now, truthfully. Uh, I, I would, he, he would have been my first, first pick if, uh, coming over to field. Well, Eagles. knowing the politically incorrect, uh, uh, medium that you're working with, it would have fit him very well because he was, um, he was not scared uh, in a crowd of people, uh, a business dinner at SHOT Show being very stuffy to uh, speak his mind. And uh, and the the Georgia redneck never left him. But when it came down to talk serious business, you uh, you quickly realize that he uh, he had quite the uh, – he had a lot going on in between his two ears. So. Yep, yeah, he did. You know, I forgot how much hunting he did. You know, uh, we all were doing a lot. Back then, at, when I was at Peterson's, I was traveling 220, 250 days a year on incredible trips, incredible hunting trips around the world. And I forgot how much Guthrie did until he sent those photos over. You know, he really had a, you know, I did, a lot of the guys of that era did, had a, a good repertoire of hunting. But, boy, he did a lot of hunting, you know. No, he did, you know. Turkey hunting was his passion, but Africa became his passion. Elk hunting became his passion. Squirrel hunting. He loves squirrel hunting more than anything. Quail hunting, dove hunting, duck hunting, goose hunting. I mean, you name it. He, we, uh, you know, and I was very fortunate. I got to tag along on his, a few of his assignments, uh, which were basically, uh, you know, basically hunts that, that he arranged that, uh, that would cost no money that he would get assigned and, uh, there was one time on King Ranch. I remember we were down there on just a fun trip, and the plan was was to shoot hogs. And then when we were shooting hogs, he made me want to shoot them. He we wanted me to shoot them facing me so that he could uh, so he could dissect the animal to report back to Hornady on the terminal performance of these various bullets. Um, and then he ended up, uh, and this is. I don't know how well public knowledge this is, but he was also doing consulting for a very large company that was reporting to the United States military on terminal performance of bullets. So he was doing a lot of things in the world of, uh, in the world of ballistics and the world of, uh, and one thing that he was meticulous, ridiculously meticulous as he, the Scobie said he was a procrastinator, but one thing he was, was, uber organized and he and I as roommates were completely different because I had stuff <laughs> everywhere all over the house and his room was perfectly meticulous. And one thing that he did was he had quite the gun collection and for every single gun he owned, he had every shot recorded and he would have that written down, meaning every single round he ever fired from any gun, he had it written down what it was fired, how far the distance was, what type of conditions and, and everything. I mean, he was meticulous and that's one of the reason he got so many assignments and so many of these, uh, gun and ammo and bullet manufacturers liked him is because sure. went the extra his, mile. uh, no, he was just a, he was a data, 
Mm-hmm. He was absolutely a, a database of uh, of knowledge when it came to it. And he can, you know, he he told me, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite weekends with him was I was uh, I was fortunate enough to be to go on a on a work hunt on a doll sheep hunt. And so he helped lined up a rifle. He got Nosler to loan me a rifle for the trip. And he got them to 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 get the get the ammo. And then loophole. He lined up a loophole scope for me. He got uh he got tally rings and bases for me. He goes, All right, man, I need you to fly to Mobile, Alabama. We're gonna go to my long range course and I'm gonna do my best to teach you how to long range shoot before this sheep hunt. Because <laughs> I don't want you going up there and screwing up. And sure enough, we went down there and we shot that rifle through a chronograph. And we adjusted the turrets on this, and he was doing this. This was in two thousand eleven, long before it was popular. Long before I didn't know anything about this. You know, I was, you know, my dear rifle was ballistic was a, apps and all absolutely. the technology. Yeah, he had. I mean, it was he was so well before his time uh, with with all of that. And in particular, uh, you know, modern rifles. He was the host of Modern Rifle Adventure Television, which uh, on my post last night I put some of the outtakes and the bloopers. Uh, he did that TV show with a gentleman by the name of Dick Metcalf, and they were, he was kind of the old, crusty guy, and Guthrie was the new, young, up-and-coming whippersnapper. But the what he was doing, what Guthrie was doing to uh, promote the AR-15 platform back in the early 2000s was amazing. He was one of the first AR guys that was out there before that craze got started, and he was you know doing the long-range ballistic uh, you know, doing the long range ballistic calculators and the, the turrets, uh, you know, right when they were first coming out and becoming popular and moving from military to the modern commercial sporting time. And, Isn't that you know, crazy? there's no Just doubt to... in my mind that, uh, that the, all the advances in the shooting sports industry, he would have been on the, uh, on the absolute tip of spear in the last 10 years. He well, was, I uh, mean, he and you can see the, you can see the ramifications of that, how they filtered down through the industry since, you oh, know, since he left us. Absolutely. I mean, that's wild. Absolutely. I would have never known that. And, you know, it's interesting, Hart, I was just thinking about this, that he uh, he was such a broad depth of interest, not only in the things he pursued, like you were just talking about, and it, what he was passionate about, but even when it came to firearms, he was on the cutting edge of, you know, long-range shooting and ARs and, you know, all the modern technology. But I think one of the last things I spoke to him about before he passed was, I can't remember if he, he just took delivery of it or had it custom made. It was being worked on. It was like a 32 caliber flintlock squirrel rifle that he just wanted to start yeah. hunting squirrels with a flintlock. Did you know? Did he ever get that guy? Oh yeah, no, he was all into it. I've had, one of his first articles, I believe, he wrote for uh, one of his first articles in after he had left NRA was about that. He was all about shooting flintlocks. I mean, yeah. going back to you know, but going back to that and just really you know the diversity in his guns and uh, you know from turkey guns, he was. You know, one of the first ones to pattern turkey guns that I knew that patterns it the modern way as opposed to just, you know, shooting it at, you know, 30 yards and counting pellets in the head and neck. It it was nothing like that. He knew every, you know, single aspect about the about his guns. And, uh, you know, I inherited, I was given uh, by the family one of his turkey guns, kind of his favorite turkey gun, and it showed up in a box and it had been, you know, dip, it had been dipped in aftermarket work. And every single thing in that box was perfect. You know, the instruction manual was laid there perfect next to the screw and cap. And it was all in the original plastic. And, I mean, just everything of that nature. He didn't throw his guns in a closet like I did and beat them up. I mean, he took meticulous care of them. And, uh, but and that's, yeah, the, he, um, he, that's the gun that you killed your your last one for 49 with, I did, correct? yeah, I did. Absolutely, that is. Huh. So. That's so, such a cool story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that that, that whole start story started. Uh, you know, Guthrie Guthrie loved turkey hunting. I love turkey hunter hunting, and that was probably our. Uh, you know, we like all kinds of hunting. We we'd shoot hogs together, and we'd shot. We went to Argentina together and shooting doves, and we hunted together, and uh, you know, we hunted geese on the eastern shore together, and we deer hunted at our buddy Doctor Fred's, and hog hunted down at King Ranch, and we got a chance to hunt all over the country together. But turkey hunting was our biggest passion. That we got to do together, and our first birds we killed together. Uh, you know, we were very much like brothers in fighting and we were in Kansas together and we were set up on these birds and I was calling them and Guthrie wanted to make a move and run down the ditch line to them. And I'm like, no Guthrie, we need to stay here and call. He goes, no, we're not. We need to get up there. 
I was like, Guthrie, we're going to set our ass down right here and call these birds. He goes, well, my my little skinny ass is going to run down this ditch and crawl up and kill him, and you can sit there and wait if you want to. And I was like, damn it, Guthrie. Well, I followed him, and sure enough, we doubled up. And we're standing over there with two top of long beards, and I'm like, man, he's like, well, sorry I got on your heart. I was like, well, I'm sorry too, Guthrie. You know, we, we got in a little argument. And, uh, and you know, at that time, he – he said, I said, man, he goes, that's my first bird in Kansas. I said, that's my first bird in Kansas as well. And I think that was my seventh state that I had shot a turkey in. Hmm. And I think it was his ninth. And at that time, he mentioned, he goes, man, wouldn't it be cool to shoot one in every state? Which, you know, ultimately Guthrie's death is what led me to pursue that dream. And probably that comment standard of those turkeys in Kansas is what led me, uh, you know, ended up finally killing a turkey in all 49 states. And uh, hmm. it was definitely dedicated to him but that's when that whole moment came about so it's definitely fitting that I, I i killed my last turkey in my quest with uh with his shotgun hmm. so that's too cool and it was quite the long shot it was uh it was uh it was <laughs> one that i'm not going to advertise on any form of media how long that shot was but it was not one that i would uh encourage any of the listeners to take a shot that far and i'm not going to tell you how far it was <laughs> Well, yeah, I think about that, you know, the year after he passed, it was his idea, his and my idea. I, I hosted a little series of shows called Border to Border, which was a Guth and I hatched that plan, kind of like your 49 states or his idea to hunt them in every state, where we were going to drive from the Mexican border all the way to Alaska and hunt and fish every state we crossed off the continental divide and take like two months doing it. Like a typical boondoggle event, you know, I figured out a way to we could do this fun trip and get it paid for and do it for work and get, you know, make a TV series out of it. And then he, uh, he passed away before that show was to kick off that fall. And, uh, so I ended up doing it by myself and, uh, it would have been a lot better product with him involved in it. You know, he would have really added a lot to the, the comedy of that as well as the killing and the camaraderie in camp for sure. What's something that you guys carry with you every day, just either a memory or an impact that he made on you that changes how you, um, how you work or live or, you know, a lasting effect. Well, I can, I can speak to that somewhat. I mean, every day in the industry, I have industry contacts that I've met that were, were literally a direct connection through Guthrie. For example, quick one was Pete Angle. Pete Angle and I was somebody he introduced that Guthrie met his first day of work in NRA. I ended up befriending Pete. Pete ended up becoming the, uh, working for Under Armour. I got him a job there. Pete ended up becoming the president that I co-founded at Hook and Nomad. If it weren't for Guthrie, I would have never met him. Uh, I'm on text message threads of every day with Guthrie's college roommate, uh, with his high school buddy. Um, with numerous people in the industry um, throughout my career um, when we needed, when we started the Hook and Nomad brand and I needed somebody to help us with media relations, the first person I went to was Chris Ellis. It was somebody Guthrie introduced me to. So, you know, my network in the sales and marketing side was pretty diverse at the time and his network on the writer and the media side was in, you know, for example, Scobie right here. I wouldn't have known Scobie uh, without him or my buddy Jeff Johnston who now works for Scobie and uh, just so many connections that he had through the industry. And, uh, you know, ultimately some of the people that uh, that he introduced went on to form, you know, monster companies, which has created, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of revenue through the hunting industry that were literally made through connections he made. So it's, uh, you know, he was quite the networker and uh, everybody, he had, a, he had a vast array of, of uh, like, like Scobie said, you know, when I went to work at uh, Sierra and Barnes as the vice president of sales for Sierra and Barnes Bolts and Ammo, uh, you know, a lot of the connections that that I that, inter- that Guthrie introduced me to, I ended up acquiring meetings just because they knew that I was buddies with them and spoke at his funeral um, just because he was that kind of a guy that everybody trusted him, everybody knew him. Yeah, he was a character and uh, with some brown water at night, he'd raise hell and he'd get on a dance floor and cut a fool and cut a rug and. <laughs> Uh, you know, tell some crazy stories, but with that being said, when it came to business and when it came to our industry, uh, no matter what he did, he was super respected. No, I, I would agree with you. That's, you know, the connections he made 
you know, is a big thing I do carry with me today. Um, you know, your, your friendship is one of them, but also, you know, he was one of those rare individuals. He had two traits about him that I think probably made him endearing. One was he made you feel like he was your best buddy, the most important guy in the room. You know, and he did that to everybody. He was just, not a brown noser or not. He just had an attentive attitude about him that made people just immediately like him and really feel, you know, flattered by him, if you will. And so I've always kind of remembered that, like going, you know, I, I don't have that ability. Uh, very few people do. <laughs> I just do it naturally, you know, to do it where you're not working at it. And uh, but I've always tried to strive to do that better, right? Where you go, God, how can you make somebody else feel good about themselves or really be interested, honestly interested in what they're telling you about a hunt or their life or their family. You know, he always had that ability to do just very, very naturally. Um, to that is that really point. hard in our, especially in our industry, because every person that comes up and talks to you wants to tell you about their exploits and, you know, not to grandstand, but if, if you're like us and you get to live this lifestyle, you know what I mean? It's rare that somebody comes up and tells you something you hadn't done a hundred times. And so it's well, hard to keep Michael that attitude. Michael has that trait as well. Which he does. Is probably when You're his right. Popularity. I used to work heavily with Waddell in a previous life and we traveled a lot together. People come up to him in a waffle house or whatever, recognize him and say, Oh, you're Michael Waddell, man, I killed a squirrel the other day. And, and Michael would sit there and go, uh-huh. Oh, that's awesome, man. Good. on And he, to me, I would just sit there going, Oh, I'm getting so tired of this, you know? And I was just there as a, a bystander. No, nobody was ever talking to me, you know, didn't recognize who I was. And it drove me up the wall uh, when people would come up and just start talking to me about hunting stories because it happens so frequently. I mean, you could not get through a restaurant in the South. You couldn't get through shot show with Waddell and, but he was honestly interested in people's stories and, and Guthrie had that same trait, which I think makes them both really well liked. They always had time for somebody, you know? So he had a funny side story. Guthrie never spoke ill of hardly anybody. He, he did not really have people he did not like, but there was one gentleman in particular that I won't say his name, but Guthrie absolutely hated him. I mean, just the guy had screwed him in business and was just a real backstabbing piece of work. And Guthrie confided in me several times how much he disliked this guy. And uh, sure enough, at the funeral, this guy was there and he was just heartbroken over Guthrie's death like mm. everybody was. And he said, man, he was like a best friend to me, you know, one of my best friends. And I'm just thinking he couldn't stand you, but <laughs> Guthrie never, ever projected that. That guy never knew yeah. Guthrie could not stand him. Yeah. Wow. So. That's high and praise. I, I was fixed to say that's very I, admirable. I do have a, uh, I do have a funny story that uh, was one of Guthrie's late night annex when he was the, when he was the editor of quality whitetails, he was getting ready to leave quality whitetails and go to work for the national rifle association. And I, I think that first job, he was going to be the editor of American Hunter. And, you know, he was an incredible editor of the magazine. And uh, during our time at QDMA, QDMA grew from 8,000 members to about 40,000 members and became a, you know, became a, a lot bigger deal in the world of the white and white-tailed deer. And uh, we had, you know, representing QDMA and writing for QDMA, without a doubt, the best white-tailed deer minds in the field of biology. Well, we were in a national convention in, uh, I believe it was uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. And the QDMA had a really nice after-hour suite after the event. And we're all having to wear sport coats and things like that. And Guthrie had been drinking the brown water after the event, after he got done taking the, the photos. And he already knew that he was leaving. Um, but we're sitting there having a drink, and it's a – you know, kind of a cocktail hour, and there's about 10 people gathering around. Well, this very known, well-respected biologist walked up to Guthrie and said, Guthrie, I got a bone to pick with you. And now Guthrie had several drinks in him. He goes, well, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he's still a well-known biologist. He said, you know, I, I wrote that article, and he wrote a very scientific article about weeds growing in food plots and Guthrie changed the name of his article to winning the weed wars as opposed to his very scientific name on how to use this type of herbicide to kill the <laughs> scientific name. 
He goes, you know, as a writer, I really don't respect you changing the name of my article. He said, oh, really? He says, well, let me tell you something. You could have published that in one of these scientific journals, and you'd have had 52 scientists somewhere in the country reading that. But no, I changed it so that we could have 40,000 people would take interest in what you were saying. And quite frankly, you're working for me. So that's the reason I changed it, and that's how it's going to be. And I went, oh, hell. So I literally just got a drink and went to the other side of the room. And, buddy, they got into it. The next day, Guthrie sobered up. He goes, oh, hard. I might get fired over that. I gave, He said, I gave that smart son of a piece of my mind. I said, yes, you did. He goes, man, that maker's mark was talking – that maker's mark was talking to me last night. He goes, well, the good news is I can't get fired because I'm going to work for the NRA. And so anyhow, <laughs> but that being said, they made up and they became good friends. But Guthrie uh, was not scared in any setting to speak his mind. And the Georgia redneck would come out of him in a heartbeat. And, uh, and yeah, he could be, uh, he, he definitely was, uh, was not scared to tell the CEO or tell, somebody with a PhD that knew a lot more about the subject than Guthrie did, but, but Guthrie would tell him flat out, I know a lot more about English than you do. So <laughs> That's great. What a, what an interesting combination of skill sets and, you know, I, I don't know what the average listeners uh, assumption about a writer is, but I'm amazed hearing y'all talk at just how charismatic, he must have been um, to be able to command a room, to be able to make you know people feel important. Like those are those are gifts. Those are not things you um, you just figure out how to do. Those are not technical skills. Those are things you're God given you know talents and uh, to be able to do that and still write and handle all the things he did. What a what a what a cool story. What a cool cat. And Spencer, for other listeners out there, there's a lot more stories that uh, I know that uh, that the Rolling Thunder podcast is very much a PG rated podcast, but <laughs> over a campfire or sitting around a bar at one of the trade shows, there's a lot more uh, wild stories that are somewhat PG 13 that can be told too. And he was, he was quite the character and quite the storyteller of those as well. So he was, he was definitely a, uh, he was definitely a fun person to have at a trade show or a fun person to have in a hunting camp after hours as well. Well, in memory of Guthrie, I'm I'm going on record as saying the next round of Maker's Mark is on me, and I'm expecting some of those stories. <laughs> um, well, man, thank you guys so much for your time, and um, I just I get a lot of enjoyment out of hearing stories like this. I mean, I know this is not forever ago. We're talking about you know ten years recent history, but the outdoor industry has changed a lot in the last ten years, and um, it's amazing just with social media how quick we forget things. And uh, one thing that has stuck with me about Guthrie is just you guys just like y'all, and y'all are not the only two, he obviously left an impact because you don't quit talking about him. And first time I heard about Guthrie from Hart was before you shot that turkey. I mean, it was about you were hunting with Guthrie's gun and just, you know, I mean, that the stories just kind of um, snowballed until uh, – I guess, and, and I guess the, the last story that I want you to tell hard is you killed a, a turkey yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was, uh, it's pretty cool. It was, uh, shot a turkey yesterday morning and every year I've hunted on the date of his death. And this is the first year's 10th anniversary. I got lucky shot it with a buddy of mine who randomly the friends that, uh, that I shot those turkeys with were people that I had met randomly through friends of Guthrie. And we all had, we all have mutual friends of Guthrie and we're all on the same industry fantasy football team through a bunch of mutual friends. And, uh, and yeah, it was a very in, uh, one of those, it was not a traditional sit down at the tree and yelp them up Tom Kelly style, but it was a little more, uh, tactical in the way that, uh, that Guthrie would have liked it. So yeah, it was, uh, so it was good. And, uh, and, you know, I made some posts yesterday on social media and, you know, anytime there's a death, you know, anybody, everybody grieves and mourns and, like man, he's been gone ten years, but man, we still think about all the all the fun times around him. He was gone too soon, but hey, we've uh, you know grief in the morning's over. It's time to talk about a good man, and that's, that's right. what's uh, you know it's pretty special that truthfully, ten years later, there's not a hunting camp or a trade show 
where I do not meet somebody at a trade show. Literally, it was I was at the Bassmaster Classic three weeks ago, last trade show I was at, and I catch myself in a group of people in a trade show booth. Two people walk up, and I'll introduce them, and I'm like, both of y'all were mutual friends with James Guthrie. And these people are now vice president of Costa Sunglasses and the vice president of a fishing rod company that met Guthrie 15 years ago through a completely different form of business. And so it's, uh, it's pretty neat to see the, the impact one person had really on the hunting industry and behind the scenes and, you know, just outside of his writing and outside of what he did uh, to earn a paycheck. Uh, his network was just as vast as it could be in the hunting industry. And Spence, you've got a ton of friends in the waterfowl oh, yeah. world. Like Kelly Powers and Guthrie were super tight buddies. He was well, using Kelly and waterfowl articles to, when, you know, just a ton of folks. When you're talking about these connections and you started telling those stories, I mean, what hit me was the trickle down of these things um, is still going on because it was just three or four years ago that I needed Pete Angle to believe in a media project that we were doing um, that helped me, you know, pay for some marketing that um, I needed to do with Josh Grossenbacher and a couple of those guys that we were hiring. And, um, you know, I mean, that's a, that's three, three or four degrees removed, but you know, that's a, that was a connection through you from Guthrie. And uh, anyways, just really, really cool to hear the, you know, the, the connections you know, just keep on going. <laughs> this just came up when you were saying that heart and I forgot to tell you this story. So I've become friends with Cole Hauser, the Rip Wheeler character on Yellowstone and become pretty good buddies, hunt together a bit. And he called me last year and said, hey, uh, I'm doing this movie with Morgan Freeman, and uh, do you want me to, I'm, I'm going to be a cop in it, do you want me to uh, have any special gun or anybody in the industry that you could help out with a gun, you know, placement, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, okay, I'll have the armorer call you. All right. So this armorer from Hollywood calls me, and we get chatting and talking about guns he's, he's going to use and outfit him with and what's available. And uh, he goes, well, you know a lot about guns. What's your background? I said, well, I'm a publisher of guns and ammo. And he goes, oh, yeah, I used to work with one of their top writers. And I go, who was that? He goes, I can't think of his name. He's a skinny, ball cap wearing Georgia kid. I said, Jay Guthrie. <laughs> Absolutely, that's his name. And he was not aware that Guthrie had passed. I told him that. But, uh, yeah, it's funny that even in Hollywood, Guthrie was remembered. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you nah, guys are... we, I really appreciate you reaching out to me because it's, uh, Shoot, yeah. you know, I, I encourage all the listeners and I, I, I post on social media that, you know, there's, when he passed, there's still plenty of stuff online that you can read about them and watch some videos or some neat videos on YouTube just to show the personality of quite a character. And uh, he's quite a character that, uh, that did a lot for the industry and was, was a pioneer, uh, you know, in many, many aspects of the industry that are that's just mainstream now, you know, from, from the AR-15 platform to, you know, he was one that uh, really helped popularize that and, uh, and, and amongst the numerous other things. Well, I, I can say I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to stories. I Absolutely. can continue listening to them. There, there's a lot of things you guys have said that are challenging. I mean, the, the just paying attention to people like that's a, that's, easy to gloss over that but that's like one of the great the hardest challenges for me at these trade shows and interacting with customers is you want to make people feel important and man but man it's hard that is just such a difficult mm -hmm. thing and, um and then just also what i hear you guys saying that's challenging is um man i hope a bunch of people sit around 10 years after i die and man I had the, that's the exact same thing <laughs> yeah, i was gonna absolutely. say <laughs> If 10 years after the good Lord calls me home, people talk about me half as well as y'all talk about <laughs> Guthrie, I'm, I think I'll be just fine with that. <laughs> so, anyways, um, well, thank y'all for your time. Thanks for sharing stories about Guthrie with us and uh, just kind of giving us a window into the man, the myth, and the legend. And uh, in a little way, I feel like I knew the guy. So, yeah. Thank you for having us. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I guess we'll wrap it up and catch you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot for listening. Absolutely. See y'all later. Thanks, gents. See you, fellas. Hey, y'all, this is Spence and Frawley, and just wanted to say thank you for listening to another episode of our podcast. We really, really enjoy producing this podcast and would be really grateful if wherever you get your podcasts, if you would subscribe to 
the Rolling Thunder podcast, and give us a five-star rating. Somehow, apparently, out there in internet, la-la, media land, (laughs) that helps our podcast to be found by other people like you. So, we just want you to know we appreciate you listening, and we'd like to ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star review and keep on listening. And unfortunately, recording podcasts don't pay the bills, so we just do this for fun and for y'all, and we want it to grow as bad as y'all want it to grow, so... We could really use your help in doing that. Share it with a friend. Yes, right. We appreciate y'all stopping by again. Thanks for listening.